You would never train your fingers and then expect your fingers to be strong for years without continuing up your fingerboarding. Equally, you can train your mind, but if you don't continue that practice, you'll get weak again. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. Today is a rewind back to an episode that first aired in September of 2017. And we chose this episode to air today because at the end of November, four years ago in 2019, Hazel Finley was in Yosemite and repeated Ron Kalk's incredible 514 crack magic line, becoming the first non-Kalk to do so. Ron first did magic line in 1996, and it took over 20 years for a repeat to come at the hands of his son, Lonnie Kalk. And magic line was legendary. I remember the photos vividly. I remember the questions that everyone had about when is this going to get repeated? Does anybody have the granite wizardry skills to make it happen? And that sort of legend can create a big barrier. But if there's anyone who has the mental skills to push through that barrier, it's Hazel Findlay. When we recorded, we were sitting outside at my wife's parents' house, and Hazel was just beginning her journey into becoming a professional coach. She's since continued along that path in a big way. She founded Strong Mind, which specializes in mental training for climbers and hosts the Strong Mind podcast. And I wanted to get a better look at what Hazel's doing these days, so I checked out a recent course of hers, Performance Hacks. And as I'm currently getting back into sport climbing and leaning into styles that I haven't climbed in in quite some time, like 20 years, her course has been a great gut check for my mindset and the barriers I've put on myself, uh, as well as how to get through those barriers and perform how I know I can. And I suspect there's something in there for just about everyone. And it's a great way to learn from Hazel's expertise. And there's a link directly to registration for the course right there in your show notes. And in the spirit of transparency, we get a small portion of that cost when you register through us. So thanks for supporting both Strong Mind and Power Company. All right, let's get into it. Maybe we'll hope for the best there. Yeah, yeah. If not, I guess it's just some sort of suffering that probably is valuable to some extent Mm -hmm. (laughs) it will be it always is so what i want to talk to you about is i've I've read a bunch of your articles and i've followed what you've done and and i think it's great that someone of your caliber is leaning into this this mental engagement sort of space Mm -hmm. um because i think a lot of people especially as they become better climbers tend to forget all about it yeah and i think that's one of the basic building blocks of good performance in Mm -hmm. any sport Mm -hmm. is just learning how to not necessarily control your mind better but to use it better Mm -hmm. and one of your one of the first big articles you wrote on the black diamond site 
was let the body climb. That was mm-hmm. the, yeah, you know, the basic gist of it. And I think that's a really powerful, simple message that most people can still learn from, no matter mm-hmm. how strong they are, because we tend to get our brains tend to get involved too much. Yeah. Um, so can we talk a little bit about that? Mm-hmm, yeah. About let the body climb and how that came about. Yeah, so there's this really cool book called, um, oh, God, am I going to forget now? The Inner Game of Tennis. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're at all interested in the psychology of sport, this is the book to read. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. And basically, it's a concept from that. Um, I, I forget the terminology he uses now, but it's the same idea. It's just that, you know, if you're a professional tennis player, Kids learn so fast because they don't have that inner critic. They right. don't judge everything they do. Right. So, you know, every, he was a, he's a tennis coach, this guy. Mm-hmm. He used to be a professional tennis player. And he would watch people play tennis and he could see that he, people would go for a shot or whatever and they would immediately criticize themselves, say they did it wrong, put the, their attention on the wrong things, and they would be their attention would be all in their c- cognition, right. you know, up up here in the mind, yep. instead of feeling what the racket feels like in the hands, judging where the ball is in space, and all of that stuff's intuitive. It doesn't require your conscious mind to say do this, do that. Right. And the same thing happens in climbing. I mean, we've all been there where you're just like, Hazel, okay, get this with your right hand. No, you've done it wrong. You know, just that constant kind of inner critic. Whereas really your body knows intuitively what to do. Yeah. Your body knows how to climb. But the problem is, is we don't let our bodies climb. Sure. We don't allow them to just do what they know how to do without judgment and without direction. So that's kind of what that article is about. Yeah, one of the one of the first things I tell fairly new climbers to do is to stop looking for footholds and just let your body go to where you mm-hmm. think you want there a foothold to be. Yeah. And quite often there is something to use right there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. especially when you're a beginner climber. Yeah. And I think it's really important to do that. Do you think there's something do you think there's a time like during practice during trying to get better at climbing where it is important to think a little bit about the mistakes that you're making Mm -hmm. because I think that's an important part of deep practice is that feedback yeah and and then in turn is let the body climb more of a while you're on the wall and performance thing yeah so I think basically it's like when you're climbing you should be climbing Mm-hmm. And that's when you can intuitively let your body climb. Yeah. But maybe once you've fallen off, there's no reason why you can't do a self-analysis and kind of work out what maybe would have been better. Or, uh, or you know, if you're red pointing a route, there's no doubt you're going to have to kind of um, apply some sort of analysis to work out what's the best sequence or whatever. Right. But the th- what happens with that a lot of the time is it comes with a value or a judgment sure like a positive and negative painting of what's going on mm-hmm. so it would be like you've done it wrong or and with that it's like a loss of energy you know it's and so that kind of analysis is important and 
it's a necessity, but there's a way of doing it which helps you learn and there's a way of doing it that hinders learning. And I think a lot of athletes have a lot of these m- mental patterns where they actually hinder their learning versus yeah. nourish it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Are there any tricks that you use? And I, tricks is, I don't like using that word, but... Yeah but it seems to be the one that always ends up coming out. Any, anything you implement to get yourself into that right space? Because I assume that sometimes it's still difficult for you as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're human, right? Yeah. Yeah, to be honest, it's that kind of non-judgmental space. I guess I don't really have so many tricks. It's more you kind of embrace a mindset Mm-hmm. which takes a lot of practice. Right. Um, but it's something which I feel like I'm I'm on that path towards. And it's and this is what's really hard for professional climbers and for people high end climbers is kind of like a adopting a, a not so bothered kind of an attitude. Right, right, right. You know, it's like when you're climbing, you try your absolute hardest, but always kind of remembering to stay um, earthed, I suppose, you know, like remain humble and remember that this is fun and remember that it's a light activity and to not put too much weight and too much pressure and and too much judgment on yourself and your ability because... All of that stuff is its just an energy suck, really. Yeah. Um, so I think just, like, trying to remain um, grateful as well. You know, like, I'm here at the crack today. I'm having fun. This is awesome. I'm so lucky to be here. Right. If you, if you go to the crag with that kind of mentality, good things will come of your day. Even if you don't send your project, you'll learn. But if you go to the crag, like, oh, fuck, I need to send my project... I'm climbing shit right now. You know, it's, you, you're lacking that gratitude to just sort of be there. And I think it's hard when you've climbed for 20 years and you're a professional climber to just ought to always have that. But if you switch your mindset to try, to at least trying to, to cultivate a good mental attitude towards climbing, then you're on that road and it's a good road. The problem is, is that too many people just stay with the physical realms of climbing. I need to fingerboard, I need to get fitter, I need this, I need that. And they forget about this whole other side of the sport. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, I make my living writing those training programs. Yeah, Um, okay. That's how it looks on the outside. But most of what I do, 90% of it is communication with the clients Mm -hmm. about their mindset and how they're approaching their projects or whatever it is that they're working toward. Yeah. Um, And if you're... This is something we've been talking about a lot lately, that no matter how strong your fingers are, no matter how many pull-ups you can do, I don't care if you can hold a front lever for three and a half minutes, if if you don't have the right mindset when you get on a route, then you're just beating yourself before you even get off the ground. And, you know, no strength is going to overcome that. No. So. Yeah, that's totally right. There's something that you you have these this five or six I guess 
um, points that you make in this Let the Body Climb article that you wrote. And the first thing that you like to do is ask yourself why. Mm-hmm. And, and I think on the surface, we could very easily just say, why do we climb? And that's this big existential question that no one knows exactly how to mm-hmm. answer, you know. But I yeah. do think there's a lot of importance in asking yourself that question. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that because I think that's a good first place to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First off, when would you go to that question? At what point would you ask yourself why? I guess I wouldn't necessarily ask it in such general terms, mm-hmm. maybe. But I think what that question leads you to is where are your motivations? And I think that's what's important. And that's what you can ask yourself when you've got this big project going on, especially with projecting, because it requires a huge um, commitment of time and energy. Right. Versus, you know, you don't necessarily need to say, okay, what are my um, motivations for just on-siting this route today? You know, you just go and climbing. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, what are my motivations to do this goal that I've got? And... I think as soon as you pick some a, a big goal like that, it's really important to, to look inwards and say, what are my motivations here? And are they sustainable? And do they match the level of commitment I'm putting in? And if, it's, if your motivations are very end-based, so, you know, it's, it's simply to achieve that thing, write it on your CV, tell your sponsors, put it on your Instagram post, tell your mates you've climbed AA, whatever it is. Right. What happens is your attention is is on that result. That's what you care about. That's what defines failure and success. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, there's, again, going back to this idea of you're hindering learning. So it's like if, you're, if your attention is okay, I really want to do free rider in a day because if I have that goal, I'm going to get way fitter. I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to have to be flowing way better on granite. Um, if I can achieve that, then there's all these other things that I can do afterwards. Um, in, during the process of that, my technique on granite is going to get better. My head game's going to get better. And right. it becomes a process instead of just an end. So right. that even if you don't achieve your goal, there's so much value in what's been done. Mm-hmm. And it will, you'll become a better climber. So it's, it's basically this idea of like mastery versus achievement. And I think that all of the athletes who kind of value mastery of the sport over just like end goal, end goal, end goal, Generally, they might not <laughs> they might not technically achieve as much on paper, but they're the ones that keep climbing until they're 70 or whatever, and sure. they become like absolute dudes of the sport yep. and can climb on any different rock type and and just love it. Yep. And I think that's super valuable. Yeah, and I think the you know like you just mentioned that they may not achieve as much on paper and I think that a lot of people really want that. They really want mm. to have a tick list. And and I've seen people push toward checking off those boxes and making that their main focus. And and initially that might work really well. Mm-hmm. You know, but 
if you're not learning that process along the way, if you're not learning to love that process mm-hmm. along the way, then then eventually that those check marks are going to slow down, you know, and and those people who learn to love the process are going to keep plodding along and keep mm-hmm. checking boxes, you know, long yeah. after you've burnt out or gotten injured or mm-hmm. whatever it is because your only focus is on I need to send this new number. Yeah, you yeah, know? totally. And to- I just talked to Tommy yesterday and he said the exact same thing in almost the same words. All right, cool. That that when you're 70, those are the guys who are still climbing that have yeah, learned to love yeah. the process. You know, so yeah. I think it's a, a hugely important thing that mm-hmm. that maybe in, not enough people are attaching themselves mm-hmm. to. Um, during that process, do you have little mini goals that you can sort of check those boxes? I mean, do you create something like that in your head? Or is it one big goal, here's the process I need to do to get to it, and let's just get involved in that process and not worry about checking any boxes? Yeah, so I'm sort of notoriously bad at goal setting in general. Right, I'm right. you know, my my weakness isn't that I don't goal set enough. Um in fact the only route I've ever trained for was mind control that Which I think is kind of AC ironic I that did. your hardest route is called mind control. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um and that was mostly because of my shoulder because right. I was recovering from a shoulder operation and I was just super weak and I needed some kind of structured training to get back. Mm-hmm. I couldn't just go rock climbing. And uh, But that's literally the only time in my life where I've had a goal and I've worked towards it, which is pretty insane for a professional climber. Um, I've just kind of fallen into stuff, you know, and just gone with the flow of things. Yeah. Um, but I am trying to be better, especially since now I'm a coach. Um, I feel like I need to have more experience with that process of setting a goal and working towards it. Um, Do you find that once you get involved in the process of something that that becomes your goal? I mean, for instance, when you're on working on Golden Gate or whatever, Obviously, once you commit to getting up on the wall, you have that goal, right? I mean, that's what you want to do, so. Yeah, so, like, well, you know, I've had this abstract goal of wanting to free LCAP since I was, like, a kid or whatever. Right. And I suppose I knew I was going to go to the valley. I wasn't quite sure what route I was going to do. And I knew I had to get fit for it. So I guess in some sense, but it, it wasn't very... There was no structure. I literally just went sport climbing. Right. And my, it wasn't my, this concrete thing with no. checkboxes leading up to it. My aim was just to go climbing as much as I could. And for me, that's always just worked better because it's, again, going back to motivations. It's like, I'm going climbing today because I want to go climbing today right now. Not, I want to go climbing today because I want to do this route three months from now and I need to be fit for it. Right. Um. But I think what's good for me is that now I kind of, that's when my lifestyle was more back-to-back trips. Whereas now I sort of live in Chamonix for half the year. And so I have more options of what I can and can't do. I can go to the gym, I can go bouldering, I can go sport climbing, I can go alpine climbing. And so it's not like I'm in Spain sport climbing. And so now I think my lifestyle fits better, this uh, slightly more goal-orientated mindset. And so... 
yeah, maybe I would have mini goals for sure. But it would more be like, I'm going to try this route because it's similar to the big goal I've got in a few months and it will help me get fitter. But I won't be that concerned about achieving that goal as much, you know? Yeah, you say you're bad at goal setting, but you've had this abstract goal of freeing El Cap for a long time and, and you kept it there and you dug so much into the process that you didn't even notice that that was a big goal anymore, you know, but you stuck to it. Maybe that doesn't look like the traditional model of goal setting, but I mean, maybe it's a really good way to do it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I really do achieve less than sort of <laughs> my my peers, you know, at the same level as me, um, uh, which, you know, I, I'm kind of just okay with. <laughs> but, you know, I wouldn't go looking to copy what I do if you're someone who wants sure, to sure. achieve stuff. <laughs> well, it's something you fell into naturally. It's your natural yeah. rhythm. So, yeah. But I do think it's important that you're stepping out of that yeah. occasionally and trying to embrace and learn this other mm-hmm. process of goal setting. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to become super stressed about achieving stuff, but I definitely want to have a few more goals yeah. in the pipeline, I think. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Can yeah. we talk about the getting the senses involved? I think that's I think that's a unique approach that that I could employ more. Some of it I've fallen into without even realizing I do it. Other parts I would like to try and implement. And I think it's a really easy way to ground yourself. Mm-hmm. in that moment mm-hmm. um, and you put it really simply so if we could let's go through that you talk about breath first yeah um, give me a little of that um, yeah so I don't know maybe I'll just explain generally kind of yeah, the concept yeah. of connecting yep. to the senses Do it. Um, so the idea is basically that a lot of what distracts us in climbing is us, our brains wandering to some kind of like future state. Right. Um, and usually there's kind of worry attached to that. So it might be, oh God, I'm going to fall. Or it might be, oh shit, I'm going to fail on this project again. And right. We create all times. this anxiety. Yeah. Anxiety. And it's, it's usually always about your thinking about something that's not right now. Um, And if you kind of connect to your senses and and fire them, then your consciousness automatically comes back to the present moment, which is where it needs to be for climbing. Yeah. It's not like weird, hippy-dippy, random stuff. It just makes sense. It's like if you want to do a task, where is your focus supposed to be? Is it with some worrying about some future state or is it right here with what this hold looks like how does it feel in your hand how your toes in your shoes how big is that foothold what's your body position what's your balance what's your breath if you connect to all that that's the feedback you need Mm -hmm. to climb well um so it just kind of makes sense and there's kind of tricks that you can use to to bring your consciousness back to that. So a lot of people will use breath um, 
if even if they don't know it or not. Right. Um, you know, they might just <sighs> you know, t- take a kind of pronounced out outward breath before mm-hmm. they commit to moving. Um, and that kind of cleans the slate of the, those those negative thoughts. And if you, you find that if you really focus on something properly, like your breath or how uh, your the hand feels on the hold, really that's enough to fill your consciousness. And so it wipes everything else away. Right. So that's kind of like the general idea behind it. Um, but yeah, more specifically, breath is a good one as well because they've kind of shown that if you control your breath, it's um, it fires the parasympathetic nervous system, which helps you relax as well. Right. Um, it's also the breath's interesting because it's something we can do automatically and it's also something we can, tr- can control. Mm-hmm. Um, so making alterations in that is is kind of like a powerful way of of connecting to your senses. Yeah, is there something that you feel when you when you think that you're breathing right and getting yourself into that space? Is there you know, is there something that you look for or notice? I think just just being aware of your breathing is hugely powerful and um it's really good for hard climbing as well because you know some movements you have to hold your breath you can't really breathe through it sure so getting the timing right for that is can be crucial especially Mm -hmm. for something like bouldering so just being more aware of what's going on with your breath um and kind of yeah just using it to get into the flow of climbing but but mostly just to kind of switch on the senses and switch off the excess thought that's not necessary yep yeah, and I think all these things are really important because, like you said, it's not this hippy-dippy thing. It's, you know, our our bodies are completely 100% interconnected. You know, whatever, whatever senses, when we use our senses, it affects our bodies. You know, we've seen it happen all the time. If we get scared, we tighten up, you know. And, and that's taking in something through your senses, whether it's something you hear or something you see. And our breathing changes immediately when we're scared of something or mm-hmm. when we're relaxed. So learning to control all these things, I think, is really important. Mm-hmm. The You also mentioned sight. And this was the one that surprised me that I remember a very specific moment on when I did my first 13A wasn't my third my first it was my second 13a and at a rest i remember hanging out at the rest and noticing a little off to the right there was this little tiny pocket that would be a perfect mono if if i liked pinky monos it was absolutely perfect for my pinky and i would chalk up and put my pinky in it and you know i started noticing every little thing about this pocket and I had actually forgotten about that pocket until just last season. I went back up it just for the fun of it. And when I got to that rest, I saw that pocket again. And then I remembered how much time I spent fiddling with this little pocket while I hung out at the rest. And you talk about when you mention sight to that one of the techniques you can use is to zero in on something and notice all the little details of it, you know, right in front of you. And I had totally forgotten that that happened until I read that. That's cool. Yeah. Maybe it's a kind of intuitive thing. Um, Yeah, I like it. Um, 
it's just a it's just a focusing technique. Like there's so many things going on that are mm. distracting for us. Yeah. And our eyes, when we're distracted, our eyes tend to dart around all over the place. And uh, that's kind of a manifestation of a wandering mind as well. You just like, and a stressed mind as well. People who are stressed, their eyes kind of dart all over the place. Right, right. But also, like, what are the things we need to be able to climb well? The, the two kind of senses that are really important are sensation. So just, you know, a sensation of balance or sensation of how the hold feels in your hands or whatever, but also sight. Mm-hmm. So if we can kind of channel that sense a little bit and focus it down, sharpen it before we set off into climbing, then our minds are just that much bit sharper for what mm-hmm. we're about to do. It's kind of like, you know, when tennis players really watch, like bounce the ball before they do the serve. Right, right. It's the exact same thing. It's a yeah. focusing technique. Yeah. Uh, it's not some just like some show-off thing they do on TV because right, it looks right. cool. <laughs> right. They're like really feeling the ball in the hand. They're watching how it bounces. They're zeroing in on the little like green like hairs on the ball. Right. And that's channeling their senses because they need to be the sharpest they can be for when that ball comes back in their face. Right. Yeah, that's that's really important. I'd never thought about that, you know, but you do see every tennis player bounce the ball before they serve. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. really cool. Do you think there do you think there's validity in taking in you know, the bigger picture as far as sight goes, like looking around at where you're at? Um, is that a way to focus or does it have to be on a small little space? Yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of this stuff is personal. Like Sometimes when I'm at a rest, one thing I really like to do is look out at the view behind me mm-hmm. um, and take it all in. And But I feel like that is more of an appreciation thing. It's like, why does it even matter if I get up this route? Because look where I am. I'm in this amazing place. I'm so lucky to be here. You just And you feel smaller. Right. It's like when we're climbing, it's just like getting to the top becomes this massive big picture. And that seems to be the all that matters. And then when if you actually look behind you and take in the view, you're just like, I'm this tiny human on this piece of rock. And I really am so insignificant. And I think that when you take that kind of gratitude in and that and it's kind of humbles you a bit. Mm -hmm. So it's a different it's a different thing, I think. But yeah, it's interesting because even though I find that zeroing in on one spot helps me focus, you don't want to have the narrow vision that people have when they're stressed and they climb and they don't notice what's around them. Sure, sure. I think so that's important. So I guess, you know, it's kind of just being aware of both those things. But the idea is that if you zero on, in on the spot and you focus on your breath and you do all these techniques, that you shouldn't be stressed when you leave the rest. Mm-hmm. All of those things should help relax you. And if you're not stressed, you're likely to be more open to options, look around you. It's when you're in that stressed mindset of I need to send and I'm, or I'm scared or whatever it is that you tend to um, so you have the blinkers on, tunnel, yeah. tunnel vision, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you mentioned sensation in there a few minutes ago. Let's talk a little bit about that. It's, you know, I, th- I think there are a lot of ways to say it, whether it's just awareness or you know i don't know um 
I think sensation is a cool way to say it that I probably never would have come up with on my own. So tell me a little about how that, how you focus on that, how you use that. So yeah, it's just the same kind of technique as when you focus on your breath, you're just focusing on the sensation of breathing like how it feels to breathe in, how it feels for your belly to press against your harness. It's just, you're just becoming aware of a particular sensation in your body. Mm-hmm. And for climbing, we need to be aware of various sensations in our body. So like our fingertips are pretty key. We need to know, you know, exactly what this finger, the, these fingers feel like to know whether you can move off of it in a certain way. And it's, it's really hard to describe this stuff because we're, we're describing all of this stuff using words. Sure. But when sure. it happens, it, it's not like the words, oh, I need my fingertip to be a little bit more to the right. Right, right. Go through my mind. It's right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's instant feedback, right? Yeah. And that's what it is to be in flow. That's what it is to climb completely focused is that the feedback from the senses is instantaneous. Yeah. It doesn't go through the filter of the mind, which judges the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a rally car driver or whatever. He just reacts. Right. He doesn't go, oh, there's a bend turning coming ground in a few meters. I'm going to put the <laughs> right. brake on in a couple of seconds and I'm going to put it in like half pad. No, it's completely intuitive. Sure. And a lot of sports demand that of you because they happen quicker Mm -hmm. the problem with climbing is that it's so slow there's so much time for thought and deliberation and a lot of people find that when they need to react they climb at their best and that's why like speed climbing and doing these exercises where you climb continuously can be really fun to do because you realize that when you react actually kind of amazing things can happen Mm -hmm. and it's the deliberation that that causes the kind of throws it all off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what I, you know, that's what I do here. I like to dig into these nebulous sort of hard to pin down mm-hmm. topics and, and talk about them. Um, so I appreciate how well you can put it into words. I think you do a really good job of this. Um, the, <laughs> when I was reading through these articles, when you, I have this very distinct memory of when you start talking about smell that you mention that if your sense of smell is rubbish and and I love that you use the word rubbish it cracks me up when I read it Americans now I, now I want to use reason. it all the time so I've been looking forward to being able to say rubbish because my sense of smell is rubbish and and you can use that sense as well you can use smell and you can listen and use your hearing mm-hmm. as a way to pull yourself back in mm-hmm, yeah you know I think I think listening is a really big one for me personally. Um, and not in the sense that that I'm trying to hear everything that's going on. But for me, when I get into that state where I'm, I'm really approaching or in flow or in the zone, as some people might call it, or whatever it is, everything quiets down except for the voices I want to be able to pick out you know I can I can hear my daughter Mm. yelling my name I can hear my fiance I can hear certain partners and I don't Mm. hear anyone else Mm. 
Hmm. And so for me, and I don't know if it's because I have a background in making music or what it is, but that sense for me is probably the strongest while I'm climbing. You know, I definitely have moments where I can remember hearing my breathing while I'm climbing Mm, and that's the only thing I can hear, you know. So like you just said a few minutes ago that this is all personal. Mm, Yeah. And I think that's really important. Like we don't, we don't necessarily have to incorporate all five of these senses into every climb that we try. You know, if we find something that really works for us, that's what we should stick with. Is that fair to say? Totally, yeah. And and making these things, you know, a lot of people, this stuff just doesn't gel with them. Sure. It sure. just, and, and they maybe have climbed a long time and they've got their methods that are either conscious or or subconscious or whatever it is. And, and, and all this stuff, they're just like, what a load of shit. And then just doesn't gel with them. Yeah. Um, but if it does gel with you, then I think just playing with all of them and seeing what works for you mm-hmm. and making them familiar because when you use this stuff quite a lot it becomes like a little ritual and it becomes um it's it's it kind of like an old friend or there's just like this kind of um comforting familiar familiarity to some of this stuff yeah Com- comforting to just like <sighs> And what that feels like in your body is 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 so personal to you. Mm-hmm. It's 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 your consciousness, and uh, I think it can be really powerful and um, and really cool. And I think that yeah, just having fun with it. And like I hardly ever use the smell one. Sometimes right. if I'm just like bored, I'll just be like. If it's somewhere that smells nice, <laughs> if I'm bored. I'll just you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or whatever, or... Yeah, or, my um, smell's rubbish, so... Yeah, okay. You love saying that <laughs> word, didn't you? <laughs> or even, like, the sound one. If there's people at the crag, I tend to just not listen. Right. But if it's, like, nice birds tweeting or whatever, it's it's really nice just to, like, listen to the birds for a bit. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's fun. Well, just recently I was talking with... I went down to the World Cup in Vail, Colorado, and I was talking to competitors about pressure and how they deal with mm-hmm. it. And one of the younger competitors, a girl named Lily Canavan, had some of the best advice that, you know, she likes to have a pre-climb routine Mm -hmm. before she steps onto a boulder to pull herself into that present moment. Do you have a routine? Is there something you like to do pre-climb? Or when you get to a rest at a climb, do you have a routine? Is there... Yeah, the, the the rest, I definitely use all this stuff more on resting. And um, I'm actually being coached at the minute by uh, this guy called Cameron who works with the Flow Center, who's uh-huh. kind of doing all this research into flow and stuff. Yeah. And we came up with this ritual together. Um, but it's not working super well for me because um, I don't know about you, but you kind of just tend to chat to your belay a ton before you sit, sit on the rock. Right, and, right. Um, so I'm kind of always forgetting to do the one. where. But if it's like a big climb or whatever, yep. I might. Um, so like I do this thing where I just like really kind of like think about how I'm tying my knot and um, and start kind of connecting to my breath whilst 
I'm on the ground still. Mm -hmm. And then I also like to do this thing where um, I just feel what the chalk's like. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of useful too, because sometimes your chalk's a little bit damp or yeah. you need to get more <laughs> of it or whatever it is. Um, if, you're, if you're in that moment and your chalk is a little bit damp, does that ever throw you off? Does it? Or how do you get over that if it doesn't feel right and you can't make it feel right? Well, this is something I do when I'm still on the ground. So if it's really bad, I could probably do something about it. Yeah, just um, let me borrow your chalk because my chalk is yeah, rubbish. Yeah, yeah. If you've got rubbish <laughs> chalk, it's not good. Um, but like the resting thing is is something I really like because I like doing this kind of challenging resting where what happens with climbing is you're like, you're in flow, you're in flow, everything's you're like super focused and you get to a jug and then all of the then you're negative out of it. All the sounds rush back in, everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you start to feel heavy and worried and you don't want to leave the rest. Yeah. Um, so what I like to do is like apply the same level of focus to my climbing as to my, on my rest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, real active resting so how much weight is through my right toe right now right. how pumped is my right arm really focusing on getting my heart rate down like is my heart rate back to kind of a normal level you know just applying that same level of focus and then before I climb I'll employ some of those techniques so looking at that first hold really seeing what it looks like um connecting to my breath um feeling what the chalk feels like in the chalk bag, you know, that kind of thing. And then click back on. It's like, it's like switching back into a high level of focus. Right. right. And that seems to work pretty well. Yeah. yeah. And then once you leave that rest, you let the body climb again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I have a pre-climb ritual that I never really thought of as a pre-climb ritual uh, until just recently, since I've really been digging into this. But I really like to, and this obviously doesn't work if I'm on something multi-pitch, but I really like to take my harness off and put it back on. I like to oh, be putting cool. my harness on right before I tie in, right before I go. Oh, cool. It just feels like suiting up to me. Yeah, like, yeah. Like getting prepared. Yeah, you know? I like that. So I don't, if it's something difficult for me, I do it every time. You know, right. if I'm climbing with new people around, they look at me like I'm really strange. Like, you just took that off. Do you leave a gap in between? Do you, like, take it off and sort of, like... I don't have do to. Do a little, like, weird stretches or something? No, then... I don't have to. I can just take it off, step out of it, and then I can step right back in it and go into that mode. I don't yeah, know if cool. that was always the case. Maybe there yeah. was a time when there had to be a gap or there just was a gap that was there. I don't know. But now, just the act of pulling the harness on and buckling up and tying in, yeah, that cool. whole act gets me into the right mindset. I haven't yeah. found my routine for boulders yet. You know, yeah. boulders are a little Maybe harder you to you me. Take your trousers off. I mean, I'll try that. You never know; it could work. Are <laughs> <laughs> you chalk bag? I suppose you don't really take your chalk bag bouldering a lot, do you? No. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's tougher for me. Bouldering seems a little more frantic, like a, a lot more. It's faster. Yeah. You know, so I have a harder time breathing and getting into that mode. I mean, you can just like look at the first holds of the boulder problem and go, <sighs> and then just like do it. Yeah, I have a friend, a local guy who's you know one of the stronger climbers around here, and he's very good at 
he takes several deep and very forceful exhale breaths before he steps on and he can just explode the minute he's on the wall. You know, he goes from casual conversation to explode just like that. And I can't do that at all. So I haven't been able to, but I'm, I'm learning to. So, so yeah, I think that's, I I like the idea of having a ritual, especially at a rest. I think that's, that's cool. And I think a lot of people forget that, that, that they can still be active while they're at mm. that rest. And if it's like a really easy rest, like you stood on a ledge or something, I probably just switch off and let my mind wander. Sure. And cool. but then switch it back on. Yeah, a lot of like, you know, when I've just recently been experimenting with meditation um because I've heard so many successful people talk about using it. I wanted yeah. to see what it was all about. And that's something that I found really interesting about meditation is you don't try to keep your mind still. That's not what it's about. You just let your mind do what it's going to do, you know, and and you become essentially at at peace with that, letting it wander around, and then you can bring it back when you need it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think that's that's pretty big. You mentioned the flow state and working with the flow center. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. Are there... You know, what can we do to better find that? Well, first off, what is the flow state? Mm-hmm. I, I know we could do a whole podcast on this, mm. but what is it and what can we do to help ourselves get into it? Are, are all these things helping you get there? Yeah, everything we've talked about um, helps you get into flow state for sure. And and really kind of being in flow is the end goal of mental training. Mm-hmm. A- accessing flow more easily is the sure. end goal of mental training. And... Yeah, so I mean, I think most athletes or kind of performers or musicians will will know what flow state feels like Mm -hmm. and at least know what it's like to not be in flow as well. Um, And I think there's degrees of flow, but you know, some people might say in the zone as well, if if, uh, like you mentioned before, and it's just kind of where everything's happening automatic and kind of you're just moving and there's nothing else going on in your consciousness. So you're not thinking about your performance. Right. You're not thinking about failure or success. Um, and usually one of the defining features of flow state is when you come out of it, you have this sense of elation, which is what brings people back to things like climbing or racing or music yeah. or whatever it is. Totally. Um, and this sense of real escapism from our own minds that, you know, if you were like some sort of Zen meditation master, you can, you can probably do just sat. But for us normal folk, it's nice to have something that, that, that gives us that. Right. Because the, the only other thing is sleep, essentially. Right, right. <laughs> you know? um, Which doesn't work well if you're climbing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's tons of science now behind flow state. It, yeah. it it used to be kind of this elusive concept and people couldn't really put their finger on it, but everyone kind of agreed about it. And um, Sigmund um, Chicks Mahai, 
no one can say his name. Yeah, I'm pretty I can't, sure I got I, it wrong. When but. I read it, I can't even begin to say it. So yeah. I know exactly who you're talking about. Um, someone told me that a good way of remembering it is chicks get me high or something. <laughs> yeah. Chicks meant chicks meant me high, something like that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he he actually did like his own kind of study, but you wouldn't call it a scientific study. He just went and interviewed tons of people around the world. Yeah. And found that the thing that made people happy in whatever they did was kind of whether they were able to access this flow state or not. You mentioned that you find this state of elation afterward. And I had never thought about that. But this past season, we spent in the Red River Gorge last fall. And my fiance had never reached that flow state. She didn't know what it was like. And she had a lot of anxiety when she was climbing and... We spent a lot of time working through that and I've had Arno on the podcast and Arno's talked with her and, you know, we've, we've worked through it and are still working through it. But, but there was one moment on a 12A that she did where, where she clicked into it, you know, and then afterward she was so excited, like, I don't know what happened up there. I don't remember doing it. I don't remember getting through it. It just all happened. I was climbing yeah. so well. You know, she was yeah, so excited yeah. about it. And and that really was the moment where she decided, I want to get good at this. Yeah, like, This yeah. is something I want to yeah. have happen more often. That's it right there. That's like, that's the life of climbing ahead yeah. of you. Just on yep. a, probably a three-second moment. Yeah. But and, and And it's awesome because... Whether she did that climb or not, mm-hmm. she would have felt the same. Right. Totally. Yeah. So if she felt fallen off right after that, she would have been like, whatever. Because mm-hmm. it would have been this awesome moment. So yeah, that's the cool thing about it. And But yeah, there's, there's tons of science now. They've And actually, loads of the science is coming out of the U.S. military. Um, because it's, A lot of science ends up coming out <laughs> yeah. of there. You know? Apparently, we put a lot of money into that. Yeah. So. But it's awesome. I, I love this kind of like you know, the, the shift of Eastern concepts to West, sure, to the yeah. West yep. and our utter surprise when we, when we like, Oh shit, maybe there's something in this meditation right, right. stuff. You know, all these people have been doing it for thousands of years and living peacefully happy lives, but you know, that's not <laughs> evidence. But when we put the electrodes on their heads and we saw how well they right, could focus right. on their like business plan or whatever, then, then now it's worthwhile to us. Yeah. It's pretty funny. It really is. Um, but yeah, so, cause a lot of the, the stuff in the military, you know, getting pe- snipers to be in flow or sure. getting anyone in any kind of war situation, switching off that anxiety is just super effective. And there are also, there's loads of money in it now because the whole business realm is getting into this concept. You know, if you're a businessman in flow, the idea is that you can like work Monday, Tuesday and take the rest of the week off because you're that much more efficient with your time. Yep. So um, there's lots of interest in it right now and it's finally filtering into climbing. Yeah. Um, but it's it's absurd to me that, you know, all of our professional athletes and competitors, I mean, I don't, I don't know enough competitors, but no one's talking about it. No one's training right. it. Right. And um, it's really weird because, you know, you talk to a baseball player and they have a on the hand mental training coach Absolutely. there the whole time. Um, and they're employing every trick in the book. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's, we're just so behind the times in climbing. We are, we are. And I think in part that's because it's, there's been no money in it 
for a long time. And yeah. and there's been a resistance to treating it like a sport, you know, because mm-hmm. it is a lifestyle. And, and I appreciate that. But I can also appreciate the athletic part of it. But it's interesting with the mental stuff because so much of that is about simple enjoyment as well. Yeah, absolutely. And not about performance goals. Yeah. Um, but they lead to performance goals, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's I think yeah, that's totally. overall what we're talking yeah. about here. It's just part of the process. Yeah. So. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it is interesting to me because I feel like there is quite a bit of money now in um, yep. in in competitions and professional climbing. There's enough. And, you know, people say they have kind of someone who's, you know, studied a bit of psychology or something to coach them. But there's no real... There's just there's just a not enough happening, I don't think. And and the culture isn't there for it, I suppose, yeah. 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 Well, I think it takes people like you to step up and start talking about it for that to happen. So I'm mm. glad you're out there doing it. I just hope that some people, you know, like the the physical coaches and and maybe the people more in that world, because people still, I think, see me as like a lifestyle trad climber because right. I am to a large extent. Sure. And so maybe they don't, they're not, they see me as someone who deals with like fall anxiety or something. And same with Arno, maybe. Yep. Not this person is going to help me win this competition. Right. And this person is going to help me feel good at that competition or whatever yep. it is. And I did actually coach a comp climber a little bit last year and it was super fun. Um, so I just, I, I would like to see more people in that kind of world step up and, and yep. fill that space. Yep. Um, because people aren't really looking to me to, to do that or, or to Arno, I don't think. Right. Maybe they will soon, but... Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think it's I think it's shifting in that direction, and and I'm really happy to see it because I think we can all work together. You know, I started as just a physical coach, physical mm-hmm. trainer, but but I've always been interested in this side of it as well, mm-hmm. and and everything the the PT side, the strength side, the weightlifting. The I mean, I want to know a little bit about all of it, and that's why I reach out to people yeah. like you and to Arno to talk about these things because I want to know more and I want to give it to the people who are looking to me for how to make their fingers stronger. Yeah, totally. I mean, if you're going to be a a physical coach, you find this a lot in the normal world as well because you find these people who are fitness coaches and life coaches. Right, right. Because a lot of the reasons why people can't just get fit themselves isn't because they're lacking. You know, all you have to do is go on the internet and get a training program. Right. Or just know that you should be going running three times a week and doing this, this, and this. But the what they lack is the motivation and the and they have a bunch of mental obstacles. Right. So tons of fitness coaches are actually just life coaches to some extent and I I feel like that's what's happening with you as well yeah that's a lot of what we do Uh, we joke about it all the time but but frankly it's a lot of what we do and and I enjoy doing it you know I think it's hugely important you said a couple of things while we were talking that I really just want to highlight before we wrap this up yeah you know one you you've mentioned the word practice a couple of times that that these are all things that you you practice Mm-hmm. I assume to some degree you came about this because you were fairly good at it naturally. You know, that 
that this is something you sort of fell into. And, and I think that can be misinterpreted, that Hazel's just good at getting into the right mindset. You know, but I think if you look back at it, if you take a a look like Malcolm Gladwell would or any of these people would, you can see that you've spent a lot of time actually practicing it. Even if you didn't know that's what you were doing at the time and, and you are so good at it now because you've spent all this time practicing it. And I think that's super important to highlight that you can practice these things and that they're not going to happen overnight. You're not going to listen to this podcast, get on your project and be perfect at it. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I'm really glad you've said that because um, there's a few things going on there. And um, I was chatting to my friend Jen about this yesterday as well, is that it's difficult coaching people sometimes because um, people tend to think in black and white and they tend to have a fixed mindset. Yeah. So they'll say that I'm a scared climber or I, I'm, I'm not good at the, at the mental side of climbing. Right. They'll label themselves as such and then focus on what they're good at. Right. And this is it's super fixed and it, it's the most limiting thing you can ever do when you're climbing. And I've seen myself do it a little bit, you know, I'm not so good at bouldering. Right. But the thing is I still go bouldering to get better at it. But, you know, it's, it's, and they go, Hazel's good at that. Right. And, you know, like you're saying, it's like, no, actually, I think I'm kind of a normal person. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly have very normal, like, fear threshold. Um, but I spent a lot of time in my youth putting myself in those situations and practicing being there. Right. And I didn't necessarily have these techniques or these skills, but I still practiced it. Um, and I thought a lot about it and I observed right. a lot of people. And you struggled and, through it. And I struggled, yeah. yeah. And the idea is that we all always adopt a growth mindset about everything. You can always be better. Yeah. You can always put energy into practice and you just trust in that practice and one day you'll reap the rewards. But the rewards are secondary. Yep. It's the practice that brings all of the joy and the growth and the learning. Yep. Um, but as soon as you have a fixed mindset, you just, you may as well just not step off the ground. It's it's just kind of a lost cause, basically. Like, you'll never get braver at climbing if you label yourself as a scaredy cat and do nothing about it. Yeah, yeah, I totally 100% agree. And you said earlier that you're you're still on the path. You're still on the journey. Yeah. You know, and I think that's important for people to realize that that this thing is a long-term journey. It's not it's not a quick fix. This is this is a you know, the, one of the basic building blocks of becoming a better climber and also enjoying climbing more and having more fun and and you're still on that path even though you're coaching people, even though I'm coaching people we both are very aware that we're still on the path. You yeah, know? Totally. And I think that's an important thing to highlight that, that it's, you're always going to be there. The, the yeah, masters it, are it still never on ends. the path. You know? the, all this learning never ends. Right. Um, but there's, there's like, that's amazing because you'll never be bored climbing. Right. Even when you, your fingers aren't getting stronger anymore, they're just getting weaker. Mm-hmm you can still learn in climbing and you yep. can still get better at some things. And that should be 
a hugely motivating and inspiring thing for anyone in the sport. And um, and yeah, and, and and the path goes up and down as well. It's yep. you're definitely just not getting better. Like if I'm not doing any bold climbing and I'm sport climbing a bunch, I become a complete scaredy cat on when I go back to Chad. Sure. So you know, it's it's yeah, not a linear thing either. <laughs> and, I'm um, glad you said that. I've I've been struggling with that exact thing myself a little bit. In that I used to be, I used to trad climb a lot more than I sport climbed or bouldered. And and then everything shifted over to sport climbing and bouldering. And when I was trad climbing a lot, I was mentally really good at it. I Mm -hmm. very rarely got scared. When I did get scared, it was for a reason. And I had ways to talk myself through those situations if it made sense to move through the situation. And I felt like I was in a really good place. And now when I go back to track climbing, it's scary as hell. Yeah, yeah. And I know that I have to work my way back through that. Mm-hmm. So you can you can be really you can be in a really great place with something and then if you don't continue to practice it, you're gonna have to start from a lower spot. And that's totally, totally. okay. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really good sometimes for people to use the same thinking that they use for their physical training and apply it to their mental training. Yeah, I agree. So, for example, um, you would never train your fingers and then expect your fingers to be strong for years without continuing up your fingerboarding. Yep. Equally, you can train your mind, but if you don't continue that practice, it'll get weak again, just like your muscles do. Yep. Equally, like if you train too hard, you'll break them. Same with the mind. If you if you push too hard and you go out taking like epic trad whippers when you've never really fallen at all before, <laughs> right. you'll break your mind. Right. Um. And the 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 other analogy I really like is if you read about fingerboarding, your fingers aren't going to get stronger. Right. Equally, if you just read about mental training, right. your mind doesn't get stronger. Yep. You have to put your mind in that place where it gets stronger and train it versus people think because it's in the mind it's intellectual and it doesn't work like that yeah that's really important no matter how much you just talk about it you still have to go there you still have to struggle a little bit yeah totally practice yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah so i i really appreciate you taking the time out to sit down and have this conversation because i know these can be nebulous and you know it's hard to pin this stuff down and and put it away that people will listen to it um but i think you do a great job at that so cool thanks a lot no it's been an interesting conversation yeah thanks for inviting me you know i'm not a big fan of the trend for every pro climber to become a coach climbing hard just doesn't mean that you know a thing about helping other people climb well Unless, of course, that climber is really leaning into becoming a coach. And then I think it can be extremely valuable. Hazel definitely falls into that category. And it's been really fun to watch her progression over the years since we recorded. And as we transition into a new format here on this podcast in the new year, I'll likely have Hazel on more to discuss some of what she's learned since we last talked. Don't forget to check out her course, Performance Hacks. I really think it's worth it, and I'm glad she's out there at a time when the world thinks more finger strength all the time is the only path forward. And remember, you're also supporting us when you register through our link, so thank you in advance. 
You'll find that link right there in the show notes, as well as a link to a great write-up she did of her time on Magic Line. You can find us at powercompanyclimbing.com, where we have thousands of articles, training plans, courses, and products built specifically to help climbers just like you learn, grow, and excel. Yeah.